Hi everyone, I'm Suzanne Delahunty and this is Freedom Hunters, a podcast about inspiring people who have made fascinating career changes and found freedom in their dream career. We talk about their journeys, how they changed career, the challenges they faced along the way and what success means for them now that they're doing what they love. Today's episode is an expert special where I interview Liz Ward, career pivot coach, founder of Slick Pivot and speaker within the entrepreneurial community. Liz coaches entrepreneurs and professionals of all career backgrounds on transforming or making pivots in their careers. And in this episode of Freedom Hunters, she shares some truly practical advice for anyone who's contemplating a change in their career but doesn't know where to start. But because this is Freedom Hunters, I also talked to Liz about her own career. She started out her career in a very different way to what she's doing now. Before making that pivot to coaching, she worked in marketing and advertising for some of the biggest and well-recognised brand names, including the opening ceremony campaigns for the London 2012 Olympics. It was later when she experienced burnout in her marketing career that she realised she needed to make a pivot. Liz and I talk about what happens when you work in your zone of genius, what to do if you just don't have a passion in life, and how making small changes might be all you need to create contentment in your career or space to start planning a real change. I hope you enjoyed this expert special episode of Freedom Hunters. Liz Ward, thank you so much for coming on Freedom Hunters. Hi, thanks for having me. First of all, where did you grow up and what kind of kid were you? Oh, um, I grew up in Leeds in Yorkshire and what kind of kid was I? <laughs> um, my mum would probably say a bit of a diva. <laughs> um, I was definitely a tomboy and I was always climbing up a tree and uh, yeah, running around with my brother. So did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? No, I don't think so. When I was little, I think I had a number of dreams, I think, throughout my youth. Um, one was to be an air hostess. I really liked the idea of kind of like travel. I like, I thought they were quite glamorous. Mm. Um, I thought that was quite cool. I, um, and then I loved geography at school. It was my favorite subject. I really loved the weather, still love the weather, the clouds. So I, I wanted to be, at one point wanted to be a meteorologist that, um, you know, did the science bit, but then was the weather girl on, of course. on, the, on the news. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, and then I've always wanted to have a pub. I think I had that goal, goal, dream when I was in my teens. My dad had a pub too. I think yeah. I was still at some point, at some point that will happen. Um, my husband's quite a foodie as well, so. Yeah, well, there are some great pubs up in Yorkshire, yeah. that's for sure. And so what did you, when it came to choosing your university course, mm-hmm. what did you choose? Um, I did marketing management um, at Manchester Met at the business school. Um, and what made you decide to do to do that? Yeah, so when I was doing my A-levels, you know, and you have to fill out the UCAS form to go to university, and I remember going to see the careers advisor at school and you know just just being pretty blank <laughs> about um what it was I wanted to do at university I, I went through a stage of thinking it would be law um I did have yeah some ideas about becoming a lawyer um and then I was put off by the length of study required <laughs> I know that's your um, background yeah. <laughs> um 
So I kind of put the brakes on that um, plan quite soon because I thought I don't want to study for too long. Um, and then I moved into the idea of doing a business-related um, degree, something that was practical, something that would, you know, go into a role um, rather than doing one of those uh, more academic subjects, subjects like English. Or, um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I was looking at the business options and my a, a guy – a guy that my mum went to university with was actually at our house for the weekend and he was working in marketing um, for a big bank. And I didn't, I'd never even heard the word marketing. Um, and he talked to me about it for about two hours in my mum's kitchen table. And I remember thinking, marketing sounds really quite good fun. And uh, I didn't really like maths. So I went through the prospectus of all the courses and marketing was the one with the least maths. Um, <laughs> so I applied. And did you enjoy it? I absolutely loved my degree. It was um, it was a brilliant, brilliant degree, and um, I was lucky enough to have chosen a degree with a placement year. Um, so it was a four year course, but the third year was a sandwich called a sandwich year, and um, that meant that I had to find a placement job in a business for a year. I think a minimum of like thirty weeks or something. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a job at O two for that year um, and that year shaped everything um, and meant that I then went back to university and absolutely steamed my finals because um, it was writing about all marketing strategy and theory and how to build a brand and I had been in one of the top businesses in the UK that had you know we were winning awards for the branding yeah they um, had such strong branding yeah, yeah so my you know my exams just got kind of wrote themselves um, and I came out with quite a good mark and so what did you do after after uni? After uni, I got, I, I rang my old boss at O2 and I said, can I, have my job? can I have a job? And he said, oh, we don't have a job at the moment. So I got a job at working for Freeview, which was um, part of the BBC, kind of free, good, part of the BBC and ITV. And I worked at BBC Television Centre for six weeks. Mm. Um, and I quit because the old boss at O2 suddenly had a job uh, working on an exciting project that used to be called the Millennium Dome and said, we need someone. And so I, I actually walked out of my first dream job out of university after six weeks and, and, and um, went to join the team that I'd worked with before to work on the O2. And did you, there were no regrets about that from the sounds of it? No, not one. So then tell me about your role at O2 and what did you do? Um, so I, I, would work, went, I was working in the sponsorship team and um, I worked on the um, the opening of the O2, uh, the rebrand, the building of the building, um, developing the priority tickets proposition, which was, you know, how O2 customers got a great deal in the building. Um, and uh, yeah, my job was, I was the sponsorship manager for um, that amazing project. Um, for about five years. Oh wow! So then, did you? How, so after O two, where did you move to, and what was the reason for for moving? Uh, well, I, I actually um, I moved internally before I left, so I kind of got a bit sick. <laughs> I got sick of being um, at work all the time, so all my social life was in the O two. Every <laughs> Friday, Saturday night, I was there. I was at gigs. I was um, uh, having a great time but also I was kind of always on mm. um, and so I moved pivoted into the advertising team um, which was more 
more nine to five y well not necessarily nine to five um but was working on the big above the line tv campaigns and so i did that for about two years um and then i felt like i kind of hit a bit of a ceiling um salary wise and growth wise and was kind of yearning for something new i'd grown up at o2 i used to walk around the office in my socks um <laughs> you were I, I had my 21st birthday there you know and I was ready to see what the big wide world was like after that so um I, I looked to move on after that and where to after that uh then I was um lucky enough to get a job working on the London 2012 Olympics um and wow. uh, yeah um and so I was in a role there which was a marketing role about changing the perception of the Olympics pre-games um so what, turning it into a national celebration because I don't know if you remember um were you in the UK at the yeah, time? Yeah I was but I can't There was a lot this. of negative energy towards the Olympics before the Olympics happened um How was that? I can't uh, remember There was this. a real terrorist risk um oh, nobody had yeah. been able to get tickets in the ballot the tickets mm. were like sometimes perceived as being a little bit overpriced and um the nation was a bit upset that they weren't getting access to the games so um and in london everybody had been told that london was going to like come to a complete standstill and nobody was going to be able to get to work and oh my god i remember this do you remember yeah. and so like loads of companies like brought that's when like a lot of flexible working actually changed for some big organizations because they had to put in infrastructure for people to be able to work from home because they were telling yeah. businesses to suggest to their employees that they didn't come into the office so that there was space on the underground for tourists um the funny thing was is that london was absolutely dead during the game it was so quiet i remember i flew in i'd been working abroad and flew back to london on the day of the opening ceremony ah, like that and evening that was a good day and basically, I just breezed through the passport check, the secure, you know, all that sort of thing. There was no one on the train, no one on the roads when I was like getting getting a taxi home. So it was it was like a ghost town. Yeah, yeah, and I remember <laughs> the same thing. Like we, you know, because I was working on it. Like there was mm. loads of um, backup plans of like hotels booked for people to be able to stay in because they wouldn't be able to get home, and it just it was one of those things that you know there wasn't drama um but yeah I was working on things like the Olympic torch relay which was uh going around the country you know the torch was a, about igniting celebration and then um encouraging people to organize opening ceremony parties at home mm -hmm. and giving them people like the tools and um uh Olympic stuff to kind of do that um and so it was a really uh it was a really fun role um obviously after the games um the team disbanded so so what was next after that so what was next after that at that point I thought oh I'm gonna start a business and go out on my own and then changed my mind and got wooed back into another corporate role with a good good title and good salary and kind of doing what I thought I should do and what I was known for you know I was always known for doing so having a cool job and like being at a cool events and doing things like that and uh, I was offered a job at Bacardi running their digital for Grey Goose and Mart well for Martini and then I ended up working on Grey Goose um, so that was more of a global role um, and so I did a little bit of traveling before that because I hadn't done any, because I'd gone straight out of you. I'd always worked from the age of 12, you know, in mm. a part-time job or um, in my dad's pub or wherever. 
so I just took I think I took three weeks and I went to Bali and I thought oh I like traveling um and I did a year and a half or two years at Bacardi um and uh at that at the end of that I I, I was completely burnt out yeah and um ready for I needed to take a breath and slow down because I'd been working really like at a ridiculous pace up until that point and I felt like I'd almost learnt what I had to do it you know the job that I was doing I, I, it wasn't hard the, ta- the, the 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 work it was you know digital marketing we'd done all the cool things and the innovation and although um you know technology was changing all the time I wanted to be more nimble and I wanted to do more creative work rather than some of the uh, consistent projects that we were doing, let's say. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely motivated by variety. And I was feeling like I wasn't really getting that, feeding that side of me. Yeah. So what, what did burnout feel like for you? Because it's something that a lot of people are experiencing these days. Yeah, you know, I heard now it's, it's recognised as an actual thing rather than just feeling quite tired. Um, for me, it was really kind of physical. Like, it was... My whole body felt tense and I'd have this sick feeling in my stomach all the time. My jaw would hurt. Um, I was really lethargic. Um, and then I just couldn't think clearly at all. My mind would spiral over really, really easy tasks. Um, and I had, yeah, very limited clarity of thought. Um, and it, you know, it, uh, there was, it take me like three hours sometimes to write an email that was quite simple because I was it was you know overthinking so it was kind of like physical and mental mm-hmm. um and I think because I hadn't been grounding myself and looking after myself in a nurturing way um as you know some of us high achieving workaholic type people do um and the perfectionism you know of having to get everything right all the time and um, which is definitely a trait that I am um, unlearning um uh meant that I was doing very very long hours and being very particular about absolutely everything um and so not not remembering to uh, basics remembering to breathe um, or then, you know, uh, exercise and eat, mm. feed, feed myself properly. Um, and I was burning a candle at both ends. I was working for a spirits company. Um, and, um, yeah. And I imagine that the social side or the drinking culture must be quite different to other places, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'd always went to places with quite a um, positive drinking culture, um, which I enjoyed. Um, we had a bar in the office. <laughs> and it only had spirits in it oh my god yeah so um uh but yeah I made those choices yeah. and um and so yeah I wasn't nurturing myself and I think the combination of being a perfectionist working having a really strong work ethic and wanting to do a good job um and then you know not not nurturing myself that resulted in um this kind of spiraling of my resilience, um, physically and mentally, just, um, yeah, waning. Mm. So what did you decide to do? Uh, well, I quit in a puff of smoke one day mm. and um, uh, went travelling. Well, I think travel is such a good thing to do, just to give yourself space and perspective. So is that 
kind of what you experienced in that time? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely time for me. It was the time that, like, I didn't give myself um, out of uni or, you know, I'd had a scrapbook um, where I used to collect, I used to read the Sunday Times travel section and, like, cut out places that I saw and I and I had a I had glue and like I used to stick it in a scrapbook and I'd been building this over my twenties and there, there had been points where I was going to take this career break and I'd been saving for it and just there was always another project and there's always another thing to do so I kind of gave myself that opportunity to uh, to do that to reflect to chill out and not do anything and I said at the time when I left and put all my belongings in my mum's garage. Um, you know, it's a blank sheet of paper. I don't actually know if I'm coming back. You know, the box is there. You know, we need to post me stuff. That's that's the box there, Mum. Um, and so I, I, I kind of went with that mentality. I think I was 32, 31. Like, while you were away, did you kind of come up with any plans or anything about your life when you got back? Or were you just not even thinking of coming back? Um, I was very... Uh, I did a, I did a detox on a, on a yoga retreat. I climbed mountains. I, I volunteered with the orangutans in Borneo. Wow. Um, and so I was kind of busy doing those things for a while. Um, and then for about six months, I think. Um, and then uh, I was lucky enough to have savings. I had saved because I hadn't been spending the money that I'd been earning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, yeah, and then it was when, after a little while, I, w- I got to Bali and I went back to um, the Gili Islands, which is the place that I'd gone to for three, ma- three weeks before I'd um, gone t- to work at Bacardi. And so I went there and because I kind of like been there before, it was very slow paced, that is literally beach. And so that's when my brain was ready to start thinking about ideas and like connect with ideas. And um, the one idea that I'd had when... I think, uh, yeah, it was kind of like some sometime in my 20s I had this idea that I wanted to have a, a Yorkshire pudding street food company. Oh, I love Yorkshire pudding. Mm. <laughs> Inspired by my dad's pub mm. where he used to serve giant Yorkshire puddings with like a whole roast dinner inside them. Oh, so yeah. it's like the Yorkshire pudding's as big as your plate and it would be filled with gravy like a little bucket of gravy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, um, I'd had this idea that I was going to have a street food van that went to festivals, but then it could also be a shop and a pop-up and a book. And, and so I kind of like reconnected with that idea on this beach and uh, said, I'm going to do it. And um, I actually spent quite a long time planning that. Um, and then I got to New Zealand where my little brother was living and went to the library and borrowed books and read about health and safety and really kind of was in my head gonna come back and do it uh, still got the notebook and in my little brother's kitchen I spent I spent a couple of days refining the Yorkshire pudding recipe you know what's the best um ratio eggs flour and milk so did you come back and I came start? back I came back um with my book of plans and then I went to um it was January or February and my uh, my little sister, she worked near Exmouth Market in London. Oh, yeah. And I said, I'm coming, I'm coming over to you to, for lunchtime. Meet me on your lunch break because I'm going to go and ask some, uh, like, I'm, I want to go to the market and talk to some of the street food guys and get more information and get an idea of costs and things like that. And um, I changed my mind in 20 minutes having oh, been really? in the market. Yeah. What made you change your mind? I put myself in the shoes of this dream mm. and really stepped into what it would involve and what the reality of the situation would be. 
And I realised, having spoken to one of the guys, is that, um, yeah, I could make it pay the bills, but it would mean that I would have to peel carrots on a Friday night and get up very, very early. And my concept involved quite a lot of hot ovens and, like, I wanted to make them fresh and things like that. So I kind of started working through the logistics of it and then how it would fit with my life and how I wanted my life to be and it would be working weekends and not kind of seeing my friends and family on a Friday night and that mm. having having experienced that in a previous life I wanted to make sure that I had balance so I know I could have made it work and I could have hired people uh, but my heart didn't get pulled when I got into that market and so now what I say to people is that if you have an idea, you know, do a little bit of planning, but don't do too much. Try and get yourself into the shoes of it as fast as possible to really, really feel what it feels like. Mm, um, such good advice. Yeah. So I was able to walk away from that. And I'm happy to talk about it all the time. And I'm sure I'll talk about it to say, you know, it's okay to have a dream, but test it quickly. Because then you can change your mind and go, yeah, I tried that. And, mm. um, or you might like it. And at least you're moving. But I, I think it had been a daydream of mine for about six years before I actually stood on the market and changed my mind. So then what led you to Slick Pivot? Um, so after that, then um, I needed to uh, work. <laughs> and um, I started consulting for startups. And I worked um, on a number of different tech startups um, using my marketing background um, and when I was working with those entrepreneurs, I realized that they didn't want really a consultant coming in telling them what they want, what to do. Um, they needed more of a coaching approach. So the difference is a consultant advises and says, do it like this, do it like that. It gets paid for their expertise, whereas a coach helps draw out the vision from somebody and helps them see the steps and unblock you know, uh, their barriers into moving forward. So um, I realized that actually that was an entrepreneur, you know, wants more of that approach because um, they have a plan and a vision and, uh, you know, they need people around them that can help unlock their potential. Yeah, um, well, it's the entrepreneurs that are full of ideas. Yeah, They're the ones they, that just come They don't need new yeah. ideas. Yeah, and our ideas are like children. You know, we like our own more and so um, so I trained and, and I went into some coaching training and so I combined that with the marketing and business skills I had um, and uh, and when I got pregnant with my first child I um, decided to set up my own kind of coaching practice which was then slip pivot um, so I now support uh, established entrepreneurs um, and um, aspiring entrepreneurs, so people that want to leave their jobs and, and start something as well. Do you help other people who maybe don't want to start a business but want to change their career well, yeah. in some way or other? Yeah, I do have uh, uh, the career pivoter, you know, mm. that wants to move from one job to another. Um, that there's a so, sometimes we can start with oh I, I want to quit and run away and start a different start a business and I call that that's, that's like the pendulum swing like I want to get as far away from this as possible um, and it may end up being you know actually I just want to change roles <laughs> and so we'll work on that or it's I want I know actively I want to move into this kind of industry which is different to the industry that they're in so you know how can we work on that too um, essentially I see every one of my clients as they're kind of like their own brand. So like, how do they 
you know, they're, they are, even though they're a person in work, they're, they're providing a service. So it's, you know, it's a case of like positioning that service to the right target audience to, to you know, to, to move it into that new space. Okay, so it's a di- different way of looking at what your role is in your company. Yes, yeah, like really right, understanding your brand, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, what are the, what are your brand benefits? What's the, what, what are the benefits somebody will get of working with you? What are your values? What do you believe in? How do you operate? So, you know, kind of like we're all individual brands, whether we're a, a company brand or our own personal brand. And, uh, and so from all of my marketing experience, we kind of build that to get you into new places. I'm imagining a lot of people that come to you want to change career, start a business, but what I've heard from a lot of people who listen to this podcast is that money is a real thing. They mm-hmm. just want to, I have this idea or I just, I desperately want to try something new, but I can't, financially I just can't do it. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see how have you seen your clients manage that transition and that change from a financial point of view? Mm. Um, I think the first step really is to understand what you need and to, because often we can talk about money and then like, not really get into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we do that with ourselves as well as a little bit of avoidance. Yeah. So I would encourage somebody to, you know, do an audit of their spend and to understand their financial goals. So like, what are their three numbers? Like, what do they absolutely need in order to live? <laughs> um, what would they like, you know, and then what would they like love? Mm. Um, and you know just really kind of like understand what those numbers are and then understand also from your needs is you know what do you need money to help you with at this point in time so you know if you are looking to buy a house or pay school fees and things like that those those are things that you need to get kind of of clear on because they will affect how you then move forward Um, so there's a number of different options different ways people have done it is one is to have your kind of cash cow job. So that might be stay in the job that you're in or find another job that brings in the money that allows you to pay the bills. Um, it gives you, if it's a permanent job, can give you that stability that um, some of us really, really need. Um, and things like maternity leave and the mortgage, you know, th- those can be personal goals at the same time as wanting to start a business. So that cash cow job can really still serve us. Um, and but then being quite regimented on how you're going to invest the time into creating your business. Yeah, I think that's really important is making the time. Um, I think we all come up with excuses why we don't. It just means we're not prioritising our goal or our dream. Mm, exactly. Um, so you know, I was working with a client this morning and she she is working on getting a cash cow job and she's looking at that being a four day a week thing and so the fifth day is purely on her uh aspiring business idea um the other way of doing it is to get a consultancy or a freelance contract Mm. which can be a bit more flexible and give you more flexibility um to bring in the money and and again to build on our point is that you, you still need to make sure that you're managing your time um other ways the people have done it um, is having, you know, having savings, savings or a redundancy package. Uh, and so knowing um, what you're willing to put into, you know, your living expenses and, 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 you know, using your audit to really look at what is your run rate, like how 
sorry, your burn rate. So, you know, what, what, what do you need on a minimum monthly basis and how long can you go on that? Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you know how, where you can go. Um, other people have secured a loan, you know, from friends and family or an investor. Um, and, uh, that obviously comes with different pressures. Mm. Um, I think the most popular one is to have this cash cow job or, or, or having the savings. Um, my, my advice would be f- make sure that with your business idea, you know, find a way to monetize it as fast as possible. Um, because until you start monetizing it, it's a hobby rather than a business. And um, so start with the end in mind, um, really start to consider what is the business model? Um, and how does that, how does, how can you start building it so that, you know, you are getting paid as soon as possible? Um, and don't believe you have to work for free for a long time before getting, getting paid. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I have to say freelancing was what really worked for me mm-hmm. because I, I was able to do it three days a week mm-hmm. in my sort of cash cow job. Um, but then it, but what was more important than that was it gave me the headspace to actually focus on yeah. my other thing that I wanted to, to build up because you just don't get caught up in all the office politics anymore. Yeah. And yeah, you kind of like leave it at the door when you leave at the end of the day. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose that's why I call it a cash cow job as well, because from a mental point of view, you're using that as a means to an end. Um, I think the trap that people can get get in is, you know, trying to build the traditional path, career path at the same time as trying to build the business idea. And, um, you know, your brain then just gets split in two different ways and one thing will fall away and you'll find yourself, you know, feeling tense. Um, about those situations that you're in. Yeah, yeah. but there must be a lot of other limiting beliefs that people come to you with, you know, basically their excuses why they haven't been able to do it or they can't do it. Um, like what, what have you seen are the biggest limiting beliefs that people have? Time is the biggie, you know. Mm. It's our favourite excuse to have time. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. You know, it's just, you know, we're, we're always constantly like fighting this whole time battle. Um, and I think on that one is that if you really, really want something, then you will make the time. And uh, one of my clients, um, she uh, runs a marshmallow business and got it from being a market store to now is in Harrods. Wow. Um, and yeah, they've done, they've got a great online shop. It's called themarshmallowist.com. Oh, check them out. Gourmet marshmallows. Beautiful. Um, and she said once that it's the, it's the EastEnders test. Like if you're willing to not watch EastEnders, you know, and get, a, a, and put those hours in, you know, that are outside of the norm, of the norm. You will, you know, everybody has the same amount of time in a day and some people use it to their advantage and some people don't and some people are in a fight with time and some people are friends with time so on that one I'd say you know think about your relationship with time and know that you are your own source of time be friends with time um the other one is I don't have the skills yeah oh that that always held me back because I was always about like but I haven't gone to university to study this one of the things that I see really regularly is oh I must do a course so the first thing to do is I need to learn a new skill. I must do a course. Um, I think the University of Life is the uh, a really, really fast way yeah, to well, learn by doing, right? Learn by doing, uh, you know, throw yourself in at the deep end. So, you know, for example, if you want to start a podcast, 
get a microphone and do a podcast. Um, because as soon as you start doing it, you're going to unlock all the different juice underneath and find out the things that you don't know. Um, I think that an interesting way of looking at learning as an adult is um, we all go through a learning journey when we're learning any new skill. Um, we relate it to driving. Um, that can help explain it. So it's kind of four stages. So the first stage of learning something new is you are unconsciously incompetent so you don't know what you don't know and so when you're a teenager and you saw your mum and dad driving the car you think oh that looks easy I want to get into that I want to get a car I want to have freedom I want to be able to go and see my mates at the weekend so I want to pass my driving test so you're kind of like excited and you don't know what you don't know and then you move into you go for your first driving lesson all pumped up like oh I'm gonna gonna be really really great I'm gonna be speeding around and then you can't even get over 10 miles an hour and you know you can't you you can't the cars are all jumpy and jolty and you come away from that driving lesson feeling really disheartened and like you don't know anything and then you become consciously incompetent where you realize you don't know stuff um and uh we as adults find that really a really difficult place to be and um a lot of people that are starting to pivot a career or thinking about it they might dip their toe in in that first driving lesson and then stop because they're like, this is too hard. I can't put myself through it. Um, and, um, but if you're really tuned in to what you want, so if, you know, the driving example, you know, you want the freedom and you know, you want the car because you know what it's going to bring you. You are going to go back and have another driving lesson and you are going to practice and practice and practice. And by practicing, you know, reversing around the corner 45 times, you will get there and so then you become consciously competent so you are kind of still thinking about it and you know what you know but you still have to kind of check in on these new skills but you can drive the car and you can pass the test and you can probably drive around for a couple of months going mirror signal maneuver I know what I'm doing here but I'm still kind of checking in and freak out on the freeway yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) or then yeah you go you go to a new place I, I learned to drive in London with like four lane roundabouts but when I first hit a country lane, I, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a new experience. Um, and then the final, the final stage is when you become unconsciously competent, um, which essentially is when you can do something on autopilot because you've practiced it so many times. And so, you know, you're driving around now with the radio on, window down, and like la- talking to your mate and laughing about that first driving lesson when it was really, really hard. So we can learn new skills, but we have to be motivated enough to to want to so like knowing why Mm. will help you pull through and so on that I recommend that you know get a vision book make a vision board you know really connect with what life will be like if you are able to make this happen Um, but also get comfortable with knowing you just might be a bit crap at first (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Um, and um, think about building your business based on your strengths Mm. so all the things that you know that you're already good at um, for example, if you need to market your business to win customers, um, there's a million different ways that you can do that. Um, you know, you could write blog articles, you could um, stand on a market stall, you could make a podcast. You could, there's lots and lots of different types of marketing channels. Um, but choose the thing that you're best at. So if you're great at public speaking, you know, do events. If you're great at writing, write blogs. 
but don't write blogs if you're really bad at writing, you know. So try and try and find out the way, the things that you're good at and build them into your business so that you're only having to learn new things if you absolutely have to. Yeah. A lot of people would also worry about what other people think. Yeah. And that might hold them back. Yeah, absolutely. So that, you know, that whole personal brand thing I talked about mm. earlier, you know, what we're known for and what people perceive us as can shape our decisions um you know we may not want them to um but there may be that kind of like person in the back of your head or what will they think you know people think I'm a bit nuts um and uh that happens all the time and um, I work with clients a lot on this um and I would say are you going to really let that thought or that individual affect how you lead your whole life um that's such a good point you know because I found and actually I've had a client the other day and we we're talking about uh, to grow her consultancy um she'd like to post on LinkedIn more but what's stopping her posting on LinkedIn is a particular old boss she knows is in her LinkedIn network and um every time she goes to post on LinkedIn she thinks about him and therefore doesn't post and uh, so we worked through this. She starts posting. And then what's interesting is that, you know, another completely random person in her network, um, old colleague from a different business, writes to a message going, I'm really loving what you're doing. You know, so people will support you. and People will be in, in your tribe and people will, you know, whatever they think, you know, let them think. But often we don't, you're assume you're making an assumption. You don't know that it's true. You, you know, I'd say one push on through it. But if that's somebody who's particularly close to you, you know, you could talk to that individual about it. You know, share your dreams, share your goals. Um, and, uh, or, you know, have the attitude to prove them wrong. My mum and my husband both said to me, oh, coaching. And kind of like, got, I got a bit of a raised eyebrow. Um they are now my biggest fans of what I do. Um, and I had to kind of just my motivation and drive towards it brought them round, you know? And mm -hmm. so if I'd listened to them, I wouldn't have moved forward. Yeah. And they did, to be honest, they didn't say, no, don't do it. But that the slight, the, the small raised eyebrow, oh, you know, because they both had experiences of, uh, examples of when it hadn't worked out for somebody and everyone will always have an example of when it hasn't worked out for somebody else yeah but you are not somebody else so yeah what I found was you know years ago when I was first contemplating a changing career into fashion which is what I've always loved and I would meet people for coffee who work in fashion and they all told me basically well, fashion is a really hard industry to get into. It's really small. You'll you'll have to go start out on the you know working in the lowliest job in retail. And I believed it. I listened to it and believed mm -hmm. it and let it put me off. And mm -hmm. I think and actually another guest uh, on my podcast said that, that a similar thing happened to them. They went to talk to people who were in working in the sector he wanted to get into, and they all told him it can't be done. Or yeah. you know. Um, but he did it anyway. Yeah. And now he's doing really well. Yeah. And those, those, those limiting beliefs can affect you on a really, really small way um, or a really big way. Uh, yeah, I had a client um, yesterday and, and, and she is she's job hunting and um, applying for jobs. And small comments, somebody went, oh, and well, nobody advertises for jobs in December. Yeah, well, 
that might be true, but it doesn't mean that you should do absolutely not. She's like, I'm going to start again in January. It's like, okay, well, how could you use the next six weeks? Um, and, you know, what's the counter argument is actually had another client that got offered a job this morning. So, mm. you know, people are hiring. There's stuff going on out there. Um, don't listen to people's advice. Well, run run your own race. Yeah, if they're being really negative, I just think you've got to just back yourself in those situations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, know, know your own goals, know your own motivation and find out your own, inf- find out your own information because people love to give advice. They're only trying to be helpful. They have got your heart. Um, they are trying to protect you and keep you safe. That's true. Yes. Um, and so people don't, you know, although we have our own fears of failure, people around us don't want us to fail either. And it's quite hard for loved ones to kind of watch you going into new territory because it's risky. And so they will be as helpful as possible to keep you safe by giving you examples of, um, you know, worst case scenario. Yeah. But we all know that, you know, there's, there's a different way around it if you, if you keep looking. Yeah. Now, I want to talk to you about this idea of having a passion in life. There's this notion that in order to have a fulfilling career or make a career change, you've got to follow your passion. And some people just don't have a passion. What are your thoughts on that? I don't believe that we should all follow our passion. I think that to be passionate about something, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to work in it. Like I love techno, but I'm not German techno. <laughs> and, you know, I used to go do that for fun and go go dancing, but I'm not going to make a career out of that. I think to be fulfilled in our jobs... We need to feel like there's a number of things going on, feel like we're growing and feel like we're making an impact. Um, and in order to make an impact, we need to be producing kind of quality work. Um, and when you produce quality work, you know, then you f- feel fulfilled, you're growing, etc. And so my, my view, I'm in the camp of you should follow your strengths you know, and your passion will follow that. So build on what is working for you, what you are good at, um, and then you will produce quality work and then you will have a quality output. You will therefore feel fulfilled and become really passionate about it and be able to talk about it really, um, you know, articulately and with heart um, because you're good at it. Um, trying to, if, you know, it might be that you have to start a whole learning journey about, you know, I, I love art. Let's learn how to paint. Um, but that's kind of like starting from scratch a little bit. But there could be something you do in your spare time. Yeah. And it can be that you can be fulfilled by things you enjoy in other ways. Mm. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think you should say, okay, I'm going to, I need to follow my passion. Mm. Um, uh, but if you are, then make sure that you build what is your strength into that into that scenario. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, an example of mine, uh, I've got a client who's a property developer and that's his skill set and he has real strength in that area, um, but he has a passion for outdoor sports. So it's like, okay, how can you combine those two so that you're getting a fulfillment of both? Um, without you know, ditching everything that he's learned before. Yeah. If somebody doesn't have a passion, mm-hmm. you know, what would you advise them? Are there small changes they might be able to make that would make a huge difference in their career? Um, 
Okay, so again, I would I would ask them to look at their strengths. There is a number of different ways that you can do that um, because when we're not working, um, we're not using our strengths, then we can find our career really unfulfilling. So um, Guy, Guy Hendricks wrote this book, The Big Leap, and he talks about the different zones that you can be working in. So you could be spending time doing tasks in your zone of incompetence. So that's doing things that you're just not, you're terrible at. You know, it's, you find it tedious. It's really difficult. Um, and, um, for example, uh, and somebody else could do a lot better than you. So for example, that might be if I was to be, if I was to be asked to polish my car, that would be my zone of incompetence. Like it would still be streaky. <laughs> it would take me ages. I'd find it extremely tedious and somebody else could do it better. Like if, if you're in your existing role, doing tasks that are in your zone of incompetence, then you're going to find that quite challenging. Um, the next the next one is zone of competence. So that's stuff that you can do quite well. But another person can do that better, just the same. So that's, like, I don't know, the washing up. We could all do the washing up. Um, but we don't necessarily feel that fulfilled by doing things like that. Um, the zo- and then it's the zone of excellence. So this is where, you know, you're really good at something and you're finding that you're adding really va- real value to it. Um, and therefore, um, you know, you're, get, you're getting thank yous. Um, you're seeing the impact of your work. Um, but you could still also delegate these tasks. And then zone of, the zone of genius is where you are w- working on tasks that kind of are really unique to you and only you can deliver um, using a combination of all your skills and experience and your own kind of like pizzazz. And when we are operating in our zone of genius, then we feel really, really good. And um, everyone around you feels good because you're kind of working in your flow. And so, for example, when you're doing something like this, it might be when, you know, when just time disappears for you and you suddenly realize you spent an hour working on something, you're really happy with the output and it flowed really well for you. And so in an existing job, um, what I, you know, to make some small changes to if you're not enjoying it is, you know, do a review of, what are the tasks in your day to day? And where, where are you hanging out? You know, are, are you doing the zone of competence stuff? Are you in the zone of incompetence? Um, do you really know like what, what, uh, you're good at? Um, and how can you kind of have a conversation with your boss to move some things around? How can you get better at delegating to the team members that are around you to kind, to move your, uh, brain power into more interesting areas that are going to fulfill you. So it, it's actually quite interesting when people look at this quite objectively. Um, they can make little tweaks quite quickly and suddenly feel that where they're, they're at can be improved. Um, so you can get the book, The Big Leap. He explains it really well in that. And it can be a conversation with your boss. Um, I think another thing is what other small changes is you know, practicing some gratitude, like really, really looking at what is working for you in this, in this, um, position that you're in and, um, what are you getting from it? And, um, really, really noticing that, um, and really checking in on what is it that you're lacking in this role, um, or where you are and what is it that you're yearning for? So is it more freedom? Is it more flexibility? Um, is it less hours? You know, is it more interesting projects? What are, what are the things that are missing for you? And then, you know, going, 
is it possible to just ask for those now? Can I make some tweaks? Can I speak to my boss? Can I make a suggestion with another team member that we split a project differently? Um, um, and it can be quite interesting how looking at what is going on right now can be just tweaked slightly to improve. Um, I have a client that I'm working with at the moment and um, he really did want to leap into a, a completely different area. And um, he was finding that he had a quite uh, tricksy relationship with time. Like in his head, he was always in the future, um, operating like three steps ahead, feeling quite frustrated about progress and wanting to kind of move everything fast, 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 fast. Um, and that was, and finding that where he was was quite just too slow and frustrating. Um, and so wanted to set up on his own. And actually, what we've done is we've explored his relationship with time a little bit more. Um, I invited him to read The Power of Now, which is a brilliant oh, book. Great book, yeah. Um, and uh, practice meditation, which he hadn't done before. And um, and now he's feeling more harmony in his existing role because it wasn't necessarily the role that needed to change. It was more his mindset towards it. Um, and then when he started practicing gratitude about what was going on and, and connecting with his values and what he wanted, the things that he wanted were there, but he wasn't like appreciating them. Um, and he was spending a little bit of time on tasks that were in his zone of incompetence that his business partner could do. So a few shifts here and there have actually unlocked more harmony in the day job. And we are still working on the, the business idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I, th- I think in order to be motivated towards the business idea, you, you do need to make some tweaks on your day to day to kind of have that foundation of like more harmony and stability on the day to day to reduce the kind of stress factor. Yeah. Um, so you're in more of a positive headspace to then enjoy working on your other thing. Cause if you're exhausted from having a, a day of kind of tension and friction, even just internally in your own head, it's quite hard to then not watch EastEnders. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're just looking for a quick fix to just switch your brain off and instant gratification in those situations, aren't you? Mm. So I think it's it's such good advice because I think everyone, it, you know, especially if you're in that really negative situation with your job and you just can't stand it and you just want to be as far away as you can from it, you know, just stop and realise, look, you can make these changes mm. quite easily. Uh, it's easy for us to do that pendulum swing and go, okay, oh, I need yeah. to be like on the, uh, this is kind of like escapism route. Um, but actually the answers can be close to home. Um, and so just opening up your eyes to those possibilities and um, look at what else is going on in your life as well, because sometimes work isn't actually the problem. Um, and uh, another client of mine, he wanted to leave his job and was having quite a difficult relationship with his manager, etc. And when we like started looking at the whole picture, I realised he didn't actually have a permanent roof over his head and had been living out of a suitcase for a number of reasons. Uh, had been working in America, had been working in London, didn't have a place to call home. And so by uh, when he actually set up his home situation and organized his house and put a you know proper duvet cover on his bed and you know his cups in his cupboard um 
the the role and the relationship with the boss and things like that just started to kind of iron out a little bit more. So the stability was required elsewhere um, in order to then like see the job situation differently. Mm. Um, so there may be clues in different parts of your lives that might need tweaking. Yeah. Job is often... Of, often the obvious answer yeah 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 so easy to just blame everything on on your boss (laughs) finally what is success for you success for me is a smile on my face I think you know um and what puts that there is space so space in my diary kind of clear space on my desk um space to think and so I think that kind of comes down to balance for me personally um I want to be able to uh run my business where I've got space to really help the clients that I'm working with uh in a calm way and give them the space to think um and so I suppose success looks for me is um yeah, is is helping other people get those smiles as well. You know, I'm re- I'm really motivated by um, somebody getting that shift inside them and having that kind of aha moment, um, and and helping them get there. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm absolutely continuing slick pivot for uh, a long while. The um, GoDaddy, the website people, gave me a mm. ring the other day to say, how long would you think you'd like this URL for, you know, three, five or ten years? I was like, definitely ten years. Like, it wasn't. I didn't even need to think about it. Um, and I'd like my business to, to evolve to be able to serve um, as many people as possible in different formats. Um, but, yeah, it's all about smiles. That sounds fantastic. And just finally, how can people reach you if they want to uh, talk to you about their career and get some support? Yeah, uh, so I've got my website is slickpivot.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, at slickpivot and I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Liz Ward on LinkedIn. Um, and I have a group coaching program as well as one-to-one called Pivot Power, which is running in 2020, um, where I'm helping people uh, pilot their pivots. So dip their toe in um in a kind of group scenario uh all all online so uh ask me about that oh that's fantastic that sounds really exciting best of luck with that thank you and thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and advice uh with us i'm sure people have got a lot out of it so thank you so much thank you so much Thank you for listening to Freedom Hunters. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It will give the series a boost and help others find it. And you can find out more on what I'm passionate about on my website, secondsister.com or Instagram at Suzanne Delahunty. Series two of Freedom Hunters will start later in 2020. So keep an eye out for us on our Instagram at freedom underscore hunters underscore podcast. 